Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined by the mighty Marshall and magnanimous Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I am pretty excited today, Chris. Why are you pretty excited today, Sean? Because we just put up a Kickstarter, and I'm running around the house screaming. Yes, yes, because this comes out next week when the Kickstarter is live, because we don't cast in linear time, do we? That's right. Oh my God! In fact, whoa, it's it's amazing. That's right, Iron Etta. By the way, if you like fate, I know your D and D folks out there listening to this, but if you like fate and you like us, you should go check out Iron Etta Accelerated. It is on Kickstarter right now. It is a game of of Viking action, epic Viking action. You can be giant bone bonded um, warriors. You can be rune scribe throwing uh, magic around in the form of runes at giant dwarven metal destroyers. It's it's pretty crazy out there ragnarok valhalla type stuff yep and it is it is our first official kickstarter as encoded designs mm-hmm. of which chris and i are members so even though it's not a D thing if you're interested in any fantasy rpgs you can check it out Mm-hmm. it's very exciting very very exciting mm-hmm. oh man and so did you did you run around and scream in panic like like 78 times yeah i did i would sit down and go oh my gosh we just we're Put up the Kickstarter. Oh, oh, what, oh, and then I just cut down and calm down and try to get some more work done, and then you know, repeat. But <laughs> it's a cool thing. It's Kickstarter step, is such a different, count, right? yeah. Kickstarter is such a different animal than any other way of selling things or you know, gaining income through your work. That it's it's brand new territory for me and for us. So. Mm-hmm. Well, we are here to talk about D and D as much as I'd like to talk about Ironetta. By the way, if you were listening to this, uh, you can just tune in. On Tuesday, you can tune in that evening to hear uh, me and Phil and Bob talking to Tracy Burnett, the designer of Ironetta, uh, talking about the game. You got it. All right. Well, let's do some announcements. Exploring the wilderness, creating dynamic encounter areas. So this is from D&D Beyond. It's by James Hake. It's an amazingly good article about having encounter areas that change and how that can create memorable encounters. Mm -hmm. Sean, do you have any thoughts? I do. It is, a as most of James' articles are, it's really insightful, uh, really detailed, really uh, just exactly what I like to read. So I was glad to read it. And it really struck a chord with me because I'm working on a project right now where I have been given a map and told to write an adventure based on this map. Well, if you write such an adventure with a normal dungeon kind of map, you just put an encounter in each room and you've you, there you have your adventure yes it's a linear adventure but it's very easy to fill up that word count because you're creating several encounters usually one per room mm-hmm. some of the maps however that i'm working with are are just one big area you know top of a volcano in the middle of a forest so there you can't create these discrete uh, encounters in a way that you would normally in a dungeon and so one of the ways that you can still fill up your word count while creating um, different encounters within just one area is what James is describing here by having the areas become dynamic. So you may run a combat you know, in the middle of this forest. Now, if you have to run the next combat in the middle of the forest again, you want to change it up somehow. And you do so by making the the area dynamic. Trees fall. Uh a, a swirling vortex opens up in the middle of the forest. And now you have, although you're using the same map, different elements of the combat and different elements of the exploration for the players and their characters to interact with. And by dynamic, we're talking about something that is constantly changing. Um, so in this case, the environment being something that changes. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't move in any of the other three dimensions, you have to move in the fourth dimension, which is, of course, time. Uh So as time passes, things change within the the same three dimensions that you're in. I could uh, say with your volcano example, the easy switch there is like uh, after a round or two, something falls into the volcano or something happens with the volcano where it starts to minorly erupt or shake. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that is the interesting thing that could happen. Then smoke billows out, then fire can start billowing out. It's a it's a it's interesting. Yep. 
And you know, another way you could do it is if you're in a forest, maybe as the characters are moving through the forest, in the first encounter they are ambushed. So that element comes into play. In the next encounter, they are the ambushers. So then it changes the way they're, they're looking at the same scene that they were in. Yeah, I would. I, absolutely. So that's a really good way to, to approach um, di- a dynamic environment over the course of encounters instead of just within the same encounter. Right. That's exactly it. Uh, okay, let's move on to the next one. Um, Brevity, Clarity, and Adventure Writing. This is from Merrick Blackman uh, from his. It's just, this is the entire article's very short thing. Oh. I just thought it was worth saying because this is a bunch of really good points mm-hmm. that I think you should all hear. So um, keep things short. Don't over-explain. Did you want to discuss these all individually? Yeah, why don't we? Okay, go ahead. So well, I, go ahead. I just want to, first of all, I want to say, Merrick, it's great to see you back uh, reviewing and putting up articles again. Uh, we always love your stuff, so keep it coming. Absolutely. And as Chris said, th- these are very just short bullet points. The whole article was probably 100 words at most, uh, all in these short bullet points. But what we're going to do is we're going to read them one at a time, and then we're going to discuss each. Yep. So the first so, one is keep things short, don't over-explain. And I think for every one of these, I'm going to say yes, but. So yep, yes, absolutely. Always keep things short if possible. Don't over-explain. Depending on your audience. There are going to be times when you're writing for an audience that needs a little more explanation. Maybe they, maybe your product is going to um, teach them how to DM, so you're going to need to explain things. Maybe they are running in an organized play campaign where in order to keep things as consistent as possible and you don't want too much variation, uh, then you want to explain things a little more deeply. But in this... in in the sense that he's saying it, yes, the shorter something is, as long as it's clear, then adding stuff usually only complicates things. I like to think of it as being efficient, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, the background you wrote, it should be shorter. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yep. I can't even think of a but for that one. No, 99% of the time that's absolutely true. As long as you're explaining Everything that's happening within the adventure text itself, the background, A, doesn't need to be there, or B, could be much shorter than what you're normally writing. And when I say you, I'm talking about myself as well. Mm -hmm. That NPC personality, do you need that much detail? Try bullet points. Mm -hmm. Um, Me, I'm I'm very much about this. I don't think you should ever have more than three, because what's the point then? Like, people usually forget things after three. That's why. That is the typical um, thing. And people who are listening to you talk... Uh, trying to trying to give out more than three real um, points about a person. Uh, after that, it gets lost. So and, really no and, point. And, yeah, and I would add to that, for your major NPCs, give at least one bullet point worth of personality, you know, just a short description. For NPCs that are probably not going to have a lot of time in the limelight or aren't going to be important to the story, they don't even need a personality. We can let the DM do some of the lifting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I'm, I have no problem with that. It's not. I don't know. I always like the one, the one thing, just to give them something to to do, so that they actually feel like people. But that's me because I'm right. Well, I'm. You know, way. there's the bandit leader and the five bandits. You don't need a different personality trait for all four of the extra bandits. Oh no, because they're mooks, right? They exactly. fade into the detail. They don't. Yeah, but... They're they're extras. They don't have speaking parts. <laughs> exactly. That's how I like to think of them. If they have a speaking part, then you should probably give them some sort of personality. Sounds good. I like that uh, rule to, to go by. Yeah. Um, if you take over a page for an encounter, it's too long. If it's over a column, can you shorten it? Mm-hmm. I think that is, for the most part, true, unless there is something that we were just talking about, some sort of dynamic thing that's going to make a huge shift in the encounter. Um, that needs to be accounted for, then you might have to go a little longer than a column if you're talking about like a two-column spread for a page. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I I would agree with that. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose I could go with that. Sometimes I write complicated things. I always find that when I write the complicated things, I I don't know if they necessarily work in play because they work when I run them, but I have no idea if they work when other people run them. And that's, that's a big question for even you know the most experienced game designers or manual creators is you know is the format is the 
language you're using is the depth of your explanation too much enough or just right yeah uh i mean i i, I kind of go with the same thing that i mentioned before keep it to no more than three things that are going on in your encounter mm -hmm. like the things that you're fighting and then maybe one or two other elements aside from that because then people it's hard for game masters to remember after that point true uh adventures are read twice if you're lucky once to prepare and once during the running and i'm sure he's talking about the lucky here is uh if they get to actually read it once to prepare mm. yeah i think that's absolutely true and that sort of counters then the keep things short don't over explain because if they're only reading it while they're running it then you need to at some points repeat yourself because they're not going to remember the thing that you put in the summary at the beginning you're going to need to say it again uh in the actual encounter itself i don't think that's not keeping it short um i i mean i i see what you're saying i think what he was going for here when he said that was um when he said that thing earlier about keep things uh short don't over explain doesn't mean you don't have to reinforce it just means that you don't have to write a paragraph when you could write a sentence mm -hmm. true so therefore it's okay to like reply repeat things later in fact i think that's actually good a good way to present information because that's how we learn stuff right mm -hmm. uh, repetition um when a dm runs it they need to find things quickly use headers to call things out and he uh, he particularly likes those bold italic headings in the D D adventures i i agree i think we can all agree that you know formatting is incredibly important in any sort of user manual which adventures are Mm -hmm. So, you know, that calling out of information using formatting is is an important thing. Yeah. Headers, uh, short paragraphs or just sentences to explain things mm -hmm. and lists are very good ways to present it, present information yep. for ease of use, I would say. Yep. In, I mean, in, most, in most D&D adventures, you'll see the monsters bolded the first time mm -hmm. they're mentioned. So, you know exactly what is in the encounter. Uh, traps will have their own stat blocks that make it easy for them to run, mm -hmm. or they should, uh, based on what was in, I think it was Volo's Guide to Monsters. Yes, absolutely. I know mm -hmm. exactly what we're talking about. Uh, next one, too many moving parts. Hard to remember and hard to find during play. Try three different things as a maximum, adjust based on feedback. That's, mm -hmm. I mean, me and Merrick have the same general philosophy on that. Uh, when I'm not trying to be clever anyway. Yeah, no, it's, and this sort of goes back to what uh, James was talking about. You know, you can make these dynamic elements within your encounter, within the setting, uh, you know, within the locale of your encounter. But it is true that DMs will run out of brain space um, when, there, when there are too many moving parts. So again, it's a balancing act of doing the cool thing Versus doing too much cool thing that gets forgotten. Yeah. So, like, real quick, for for example, um, let's say we even uh, we have a we have a dungeon room that's like thirty by thirty feet wide, and you're fighting a, a group of monsters in there. We'll say um, chokers because I like chokers because they can they can hang off the ceiling then, right, and like mm -hmm. swing around and whatnot. Then to make the the encounter more cool, just stick a let's say we stick a pillar in the middle of it with a. Uh, stone head on the top of it that rotates and every round after it rotates it randomly fires a magic spell out the top of it in, in mm -hmm. one of the quadrants of the room there you go that's two elements mm -hmm. that's it that's all i do and then that's a pretty cool encounter actually right well yeah i love that i love that example the next step then is can the players change it can they use it to their advantage can they deactivate it if it's to their disadvantage um so yeah i and that would be adding a kind of third element maybe well it's just the manipulation of the second element right yeah okay that, that that's my question because i do a, i do a lot of things like that in my adventures almost mm -hmm. every encounter has some moving part like that mm -hmm. and i always so worry usually. will it be too much but you kind of want to give the players some agency in interacting with it rather than just avoiding it, at least in my experience. So I always worry that that's one too many things. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, monsters are a thing to be overcome, whatever that 
other thing is is a thing to be dealt with or overcome. That's usually how I I do elements. And then when you put that third one on top of it, then it even gets crazier, right? Like, because mm-hmm. now you're dealing with extra problems. Like, oh look, there's the chokers, there's the statue pillar thing in the middle that's rotating, and oh look, the door that you walk through that shut. It's now being banged on because there's an ogre on the other side of that's trying to get into the room. That will completely be a problem. Mm-hmm. So then you have three elements now that are problematic. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Like, how do you deal with any of that stuff? Like, because now you're like, well, can we reinforce the door? Do we deal with the pillar in the middle that's spinning around? Mm-hmm. Um, we're also still fighting chokers that are trying to kill us, that are trying to strangle us and drag us into the air to drop us onto the ground after choking us out. All yep. kinds of stuff. And now, uh, now the question is: Is this going to run longer than one column? Yeah, uh-huh. as you deal with all those things, <laughs> or one page, I should say. Right, right, or one page, depending on how much instruction you think the DM might need. So, you know, it's it's always like I said. I'm going to say it again and again. It's always that balancing act. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one: include a synopsis of the action. I think that's good. Yeah, yeah, especially if there are any complicated parts where. One thing might happen, but only if this other thing happens. So if there's any sort of branching or contingency, you want to make sure that you give that synopsis so the DM knows right from the beginning that there is going to be a branch. Mm-hmm. And the last one is playtest proofread. Mm-hmm. Yes and yes, especially the playtest. Yeah, one is harder than the other, which is the playtest because that requires other people. Yeah, it takes time, it takes effort, but it is so worth it. You know, for each playtest you can run with a with a good uh, playtest group, you're in, you know you're improving the uh, the quality of your product by fifty percent at least. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to our third announcement, or at least our third thing to look at. And we should probably stop calling these announcements, huh? We should just call them like things to think about or something like that. We'll, we'll come up with a snappier name, I suppose. There you go. The Mad Wizard's Crystal Ball, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. There you go. The top nine D&D video games of all time. So this was a fun article over on Tribality.com. Uh, I've played most of these games. Uh, no surprise to me that Planescape Torment is the number one game on the list, followed by Baldur's Gate, which is number two, because those are two of the probably the most famous D&D games that have ever existed. Yep. I was not surprised by any of those first two. What about you? Well, like you said, I... I'm kind of of a generation where, as a kid, we were on the Atari 2600 playing adventure. You know, so it's the little dot moving around. By the way, I've watched Sean beat adventure. There you go. It probably took about 30 seconds. It took, um, it took like 15 minutes. Yeah. And, but then when, when the first real cool wave of games came out, I was either in college or just starting you know my work career so i didn't have all the time i would have had as a kid but the one that that came to me as a interesting choice was temple of elemental evil you know i got killed by that stupid frog outside the temple (laughs) playing that video game that that yeah that is one where it got my attention for two reasons a it was so buggy that yep. it would just shut down at the weirdest random times. But in terms of actually simulating a D&D game, it probably was the best game I've ever played. Because you would click on your character and, and that circular uh, grid would come up with all the choices of things you could do, the mm-hmm. feats you could use. And it was just really cool. You know, it, it was playing D&D on the computer. I, mean, I always thought that's how Baldur's Gate felt. And to the point where, like, it was brutal at times. In fact, for those who don't remember, there's this encounter in Baldur's Gate where you walk out of the inn on your way to Mm -hmm. some town. Right. And as soon as you walk out, you get into a fight, and there's a wizard that throws a fireball at your party. Yep. And if you didn't save right before there, usually, I mean, you died a lot in that encounter. So you had to save before that so that you could reload. It took me, like, seven or eight times before my party managed to save or at least yeah. a bu- enough of them save that Minx could go over and murder the stupid wizard. Yeah. No, I'm I'm talking about just the granularity of the of the choices you can make. You know, yeah, in, there's in, a lot of stuff like that. And there. and since since you know the Baldur's Gate games were were first edition, second edition based. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Temple of Elemental Evil, it was third edition based. It was. And it really and it showed with the choices that you could make the you know the array of different granular choices based on the feats you chose and you know the 
the two weapon fighting and and all of that was uh, was pretty incredible. Yeah, it really did feel like a playing three third edition D anD D. You're you're completely correct. And uh, the uh, the one that I was surprised that wasn't on there was I have the Beholder. Yeah, I remember that game because it was the dungeon crawler, right? Right. First person dungeon crawler. It was crawler? really at the time it was released. It was really cutting edge, uh, you know, technology. And I wasted many, many, many an hour uh, in college on that game. Did you make maps? I did not. I did not get that crazy, but I think I probably memorized them, uh, which is even scarier. That's a little scary. Yeah. That means you played. That means you put hours and hours and hours into that game. Yes, it's true. Uh, anyway, I suggest everybody go take a look at that article. It's it's pretty fun because back well, it throws you back some memories. Like I played a ton of Neverwinter Nights mm. in not just the original campaign but the expansion, uh, mm. both the expansions too. I put way too many hours into those games. Holy lord! Yep. All right, let's get to our main topic. We're going to talk about uh, one shots, designing them and public publishing them because they're it's a little bit different, not too mm. different, but a little bit different. So yep. our uh, our topic this week comes from Twitter because Sean. The Mad Wizard, he was kind enough to go out there and ask what people wanted to hear about. Uh, would you like to lead us into the rest of the, the topic? Sure. Well, based on that question, we got a lot of great suggestions. Um, some of them we just talked about within the last you know three, three six months or so. Mm-hmm. And others, I think, are great topics, but they might not be the best for you and I to discuss. Because someone asked, you know, how should I choose the actual play stream for me? And to tell you the truth, I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a good question for us, unfortunately. That's a question that I actually have. You know, how how can I find it? So if anyone has any clues on that topic, go to our G Plus community and tell me how I can find the stream that's going to be right for me. Please anyway. Thank you. But the one topic of many great ones, the one that stood out for at least this week, was from Peter Sommer, who is at Stitched on Twitter. He suggested the following, writing one-shot adventures versus designing one-shot adventures. And I followed up asking him to kind of elaborate what he meant. And what he means is if you just create a one-shot to run somewhere, either for your home group or at a convention or whatever, how is that different than writing it for publication? And that's a great question that goes in many different directions. So we're going to just follow a couple of the threads um, that we were considering as we ruminated on that topic. Sure. How do you how do you want to attack this? Do you want to do you want to start with just talking about one shots, or do you want to talk about like the differences between these two things? Where do you want to go? Why don't we Why don't we do in great misdirected Mark fashion design or design define a one shot? Oh, sure. A one shot is a game usually two to six hours in length that tells a complete story. There's a uh, generally no expectation that these will turn into longer campaigns. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so why yeah. would you Why would you do this? Well, the ones that I've run are generally fit into you know one of four or five different categories. Uh, one is you're trying to teach people the game. Mm-hmm. So you just want to give them a complete story, but you don't want to go into too much detail. So you know within four four hours or so, you want to um, you want to give them the highlights of the game and show how a fun story can be told in in, in four hours. Um, the one-hour ones that I've written, I think, are too short to be even considered one-shots um, because they don't give you the breadth of a full story. They're, they can be a fun encounter encapsulated in their own right, but they don't quite do justice to what we are talking about when we consider one-shot. So I would say at least you know two, four, even six hours would be a good one-shot there. Um, so to teach the game, um, if you are... Playing with people who already know the game, you might use them to highlight new additions to a game. So a new book comes out from Wizards that talks all about demons and fighting demons and uh, running campaigns on the lower planes. So you might do a one-shot to highlight what was released in that uh, new product. How, do you have any? Do you have any? Uh, yeah, I do. I, actually, I, I do. Um, I, there... One shots are ways to show off interesting or different ways to play the game. So, um, man, I had an example for this, and I just kind of blanked on it. Or different, interesting and different ways to play the game. 
I mean, it kind of leads into my creative situation for a story that you normally wouldn't see. Let me try that again. Sorry, okay. Jesse. Uh, one would be to show off interesting and different ways to play the game, and that will kind of lead into my, my other one, which is to create a situation for a story that you normally wouldn't see. So I've seen at conventions a 5th uh, a edition Adventures versus DC Heroes game. So, like... It's using the fifth edition rule set, but for you know playing Superman and the Hulk and people like that, and in a in a in a in a game. So that's different, right? Like that's that's a different way to play fifth edition. Um, also, like there are certain kinds of stories that you normally wouldn't see in D and D that you can then put together, like a have three pirates and three ninjas at an island to find and fight an oni to rescue a noble. A born person while dealing with a number of personal issues that the oni and the magical lands that the oni inhabits bring to light for these characters like that's not the kind of stuff that you normally get um in your home game all the time for your campaigns and it's not always the kind of stuff that you get for your uh, long-running campaigns right like you don't just get that kind of interplayer th- those kinds of characters mm-hmm. so um plus and you can bring in different mechanics and whatnot to uh to play uh, and try out those those crazy things like a pirate this pirate ninja group it's all about betrayal in in my uh, in my case, like the pirates want one thing, then they just want something else. So everybody's got different motivations that don't necessarily that don't necessarily go together. So you can play with the idea of of trust and distrust. It's not something that you normally see in D anD. d I think mm-hmm. would that be fair to say? Yeah, and yeah. and you can also allow some player versus player, uh, more player versus player uh, conflicts than you would say in a regular campaign where everyone has to get along week to week to week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's another reason to do a one shot. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, uh, one shots they're often run for con- they're often put together for conventions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you might run them with your home group, but for the most part, when we hear one shot used, it's used in the sense of, hey, I'm going to a convention, I want to run this game, so I'm just going to run a one shot. Yeah. They're nice palate cleansers for between campaigns too. If you're pl- if you're the kind of group that plays um, shorter arc campaigns, like like six to eight sessions. Of, mm-hmm. of campaigns and then switch games. Yep. Or so if like, you're not sure if your players are going to really love a game or love a specific setting within you, the game, mm-hmm. uh, you could run a one shot in Dark Sun and say, okay, here's what it's going to be like. Do you want to continue or should we go and switch to something else? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about the elements now that are typically found in a one shot. What's the first thing? Well, the first thing is one-shots generally have pre-generated characters um, for several reasons, mostly being if you are at a convention and you only have a limited amount of time, you don't want to spend two hours creating characters uh, if the game is only going to run for four hours. That's very accurate. Yeah. And whenever you're telling a story, it's easier to tell the story and control the narrative if you control the protagonist. So you can create an interesting game by creating those interesting pre-generated characters that have built-in story hooks already there and interact with each other in an interesting manner. Yeah, we will talk a little bit more about that when we talk about tips for designing the one-shot because mm-hmm. it's important. It's actually yep. very important. <laughs> um, so you also kind of need a quick and specific story hook. So like these should be built right into the characters as much as possible, mm-hmm. and you need to be very upfront with the goals, objectives, and potential complications that these characters can uh need to deal with and overcome right you don't want to spend two hours of your one shot looking for the adventure uh, and i think merrick talked about this in a previous uh article of his you know it, it might have been dm david or maybe even both of them you know get right to the point you only have four hours tell them what they are looking for give them a reason to go to the dungeon uh throw the plot hook right directly in front of them so it cannot be missed couldn't agree more uh what's the last thing the last thing i look for when i when i'm looking at one shots is most of them have a concise theme Mm -hmm. um you know kind of like between a novel and a short story a novel can be rambling that's your campaign but a short story or in this case a one shot should have a theme that ties everything together so you could have an all undead uh, one shot as the characters move to the heart of the Temple of Orcus. Uh, it could be cold or ice themed as the characters search for the treasure in the land of black ice. You could also have a noir theme as the characters investigate a murder in the city of Sharn. Yeah, that's Man, a good one. Do I want to play some Eberron so bad? 
Oh. Hopefully you'll get your chance very, very soon. Yeah, me too. I really do hope so. All right, let's talk about tips for designing a one-shot. Mm-hmm. So uh, first thing, I think you need to make sure that your pre-gens or your archetypes, if you don't want to completely build characters to give your players a chance to fill in a few things, that's a thing that you can do. But you need to make sure that these characters are tied into the story in very direct and meaningful ways. Now, how do we do that? So like, the first thing is characters, they must have histories that force them to deal with the conflict of the situation presented. So like, um, you need to go to the, your undead characters that need to go to the heart of the Temple of Orcus. Let's 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 do that one. Like, why do they need to go to the heart of the Temple of Orcus? Um, for any number of reasons. Like, Orcus, uh, the the soul of one of the characters' loved ones is being held in the heart of the Temple of Orcus. The uh, the only way one of the characters can get freed from their undead curse is by getting to the heart of the Temple of Orcus and grasping the the wand of Orc the rod of Orcus because that will break the spell upon them and, and give them back their humanity or whatever their 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 un un undeadness i suppose stuff mm-hmm. like that right like so like uh you can even and then if there's something if there's someone at the the heart of the temple of orcus that is like the bad guy like you write that into one of the character histories too like oh you're going to die or you're going to be enslaved to this person but you have like a 24-hour window to kill them to be freed from the curse that puts you under their control like stuff like that right mm-hmm. absolutely and one caveat here is I have seen people creating the one-shots and creating the pre-gens who say to themselves, and they say rightly, it would be cool to put in motives that are contradictory w- with within these characters. And it is cool, and it does lead to some fun gaming. Um, but you want to be careful not to not to make it so totally anti-each-other um, have them be, have their motives be in such conflict that you never really get the adventure going. So the best way I've seen to handle it is to have all of the pregens wanting the same outcome, but maybe just small variations within that out within that one outcome. I couldn't agree more. Uh, because otherwise, you know, if you say these three characters want to go into the uh, temple of Orcus. But these other three don't, you're not even going to get out of the tavern at the start of the game because the three that don't want to go are just going to attack the three that want to go. Um, So you want to make sure that all six want to go and all six want to get most of the way through the adventure with the same goal. Maybe within the last half hour as you time things out. That's when the conflict should start. So you've gotten the full game in and now you're just kind of going to see where the story ends. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you said it well. There's, there's nothing really else that I have to add to that. It's, it's pretty perfect. Um, the next thing, you need to understand how long you want the scenario to last and the design around that time frame. So, if it's mm-hmm. two, four, six hours, or even one hour, if you want to write your flash fiction adventure, mm-hmm. then um, you need to know what that is and then and plan for that. So yeah, and I can't really add much to that. It uh, playtesting there helps, but you definitely want to. Um, to think about timing you know very specifically and even note out as you put down your notes how long you think each should should go so you can as you run it um you know make sure you're fitting within that time frame mm-hmm. uh the last thing make sure the finale of the situation and whatever the, the the goal of the adventure is is a fairly definitive ending the problem that has been raised at the beginning of play should be able to be solved by the characters at the end of the session um, there can be some loose ends, but that overt problem should have an ending that is solved by the characters. Yep. There, Think of Star should, Wars. Yeah. There <laughs> the should Death be Star a, got blown up. Yep. There should be a sense of satisfaction at the end. And as Chris said, there can be questions about small things with, with the characters. You know, what happens to the fighter's, uh, you know, sister who was under the thrall of of this artifact that you're chasing. Um, and that can then lead into a campaign if for any reason the players want to keep going. But, you know, the artifact should be found and dealt with. Either you succeeded or you failed. Yeah, and then if you have some time left at the end of that, that session, at the end of that finale, I mean, you can do a little epilogue and ask those questions. Like, does mm-hmm. anybody have any questions about stuff? And when people say, you can be like, well, what happens? I yeah. mean, you won. What's what's your happy ending? What's right. what, what's the ending that would satisfy you? Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that's that's tips for designing them, I think. Let's talk about considerations for turning these one-shots into published adventures. Mm-hmm. So where do we start? Well, in general, most of the tips that we're about to talk about for turning a one-shot uh, you know, convention game into a published adventure will work for anything. It will work for turning your campaign into a longer published adventure. It will work for turning your short encounter into a short adventure. Um, so you can take this very specific topic and broaden it out with, with some, you know, with some small changes. And mm-hmm. the first is presentation, right? Oh yes. Going, <laughs> going from your notes in your notebook while you're running a one shot to something that you're going to put up on the DMs guild or submit to a, a gaming uh, company is much, much different. Yeah, I mean, you, um, we, we mentioned it uh, earlier with, um, with formatting and presentation with the Merrick Blackman article that we mentioned. Like, mm-hmm. th- those things all matter, right? Abs- so, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I think, I think the the important thing for the one shot specifically is making sure that the pregens are easily understandable, mm-hmm. and and how they mesh with each other and mesh with the adventure is apparent to the player characters and apparent to the, the dungeon master. Right. And this is for this is for a couple of different reasons. One is what Chris just said. You want everyone to understand what, what that role for these pregens is. But secondly, if the DM that has purchased your product and is going to use it does not want to use the pregens, the DM then has an understanding of when I bring in my regular players and their characters to to play this, I can start to assign those different roles to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when people buy adventures uh, that even if it was a one shot and has pregens, they're not necessarily going to use it in that way when they when they buy it. They're likely they're more likely to port it into their ongoing campaigns. It's true. Although so, that is less my concern with the topic because we're talking about one shots, right? Right. Yeah. But you're but you're not wrong. Like that is if they if those things are there, like the call outs in the adventure for like this character's um issue or whatever their emotional emotional beat is is coming up, yeah. then then that's really useful for uh, for dungeon masters. Well, I mean, why I bring it up is because there's a larger point behind this of what's the audience. That's right? true. The audience for a one shot is generally, you know, a convention going crowd um, or, you know, someone who is just getting into the game. Whereas people that are buying these published adventures, I would I would wager a fair amount of money that if you asked everyone, what is your main reason for buying this adventure? It is not going to be run it as is. It is going to be take it and use the parts of it I want for my own game. Do you know, I think that's interesting from a point of view as a publisher that there's not more stuff that is like one shot creations for convention play or just for one shot play uh, in D&D especially because it exists in other places. There's Mm -hmm. um, Jim Pinto. He makes these protocol games, which are essentially one shot role playing games that tell discrete stories. Um, Savage World has got a really popular one called Forget Forget About It, mm-hmm. where you are a bunch of mobsters that I think are taking a body out into the desert to get rid of, and all the things that happen along the way. Mm-hmm. Like that's the one shot. And right. It's a thing that you can go and purchase on, or maybe get for free on the DM Guild. And maybe that's the problem that people think that this this stuff because it's so short or it's only for this four hour experience um, isn't worth buying. Right. And yeah, and I don't know if they even think it's not worth buying, but it's just I would say there's a different audience for D&D as opposed to those some of those other games. That's true. Cuz you know, Fiasco is essentially this the right. one shot. Sure. Right? Sure. Uh, it's interesting. It's a, so, but yeah, so anyway, back to back to your point. So the first when you're thinking about your presentation, the first thing you want to think is how is this adventure going to be used and explain as as you say about what happens in the adventure. So you're going to want to say what level is it for, right? Just those mm-hmm. basic things. How many players did you design it for? Of what yeah. level? Um, are there any special requirements for the character types? Is it very important that you have a an arcane spellcaster because there's a lot of dealing with arcane stuff? Um, all that can be done in a paragraph at the beginning of the thing. And then you can say in that there are pregens um, given if you want to use them if you're going to have your own players play it, these are the considerations you need. 
Yeah, that's an interesting way to write the one shot because I always think of it from the other end um, for the one shot, which is like I've I've created these four characters to help to help to put into this situation to cr- to craft this story together with mm-hmm. with these characters. Right. Uh, so like these four characters are necessary. These other two characters can come can be brought in so you can play from four to six people with this thing, but they're not they're not required. Like mm-hmm. and the thing is designed that way. Like that's the way that I uh, tend to view the one shot creation for myself. But right. that's that's a very different product from the one that you're talking about. Right. And and that's why I just want to make sure that we discuss that shift from one shot for yourself to published adventure needs to needs to be considered. Yeah, it's just also like what kind of published adventure do you want to make? Do you want to make something that's very self-contained that's just pick up hand out the characters and start playing or do you mm-hmm. want to like read the characters and start playing or do you want to play pick up something that is that versatile right like it's a it's an interesting question and that's a th- one that you should ask yourselves out there if you're listening to this and thinking about doing this right right yeah so so you know once you get past that presentation of how to use this product then you can get into stuff that you normally see in, in most adventures what's the background you know what's mm-hmm. the what's in it as Merrick said you can probably keep it short uh, but at least say you know what's happening behind the scenes that's driving all this. Yeah. Um, then you give the adventure summary. This is what we think uh, will happen in the adventure as it runs. Um, and there may be a couple diversion points, but for the most part, this is what you're going to see. Mm-hmm. This will help the DM wrap his or her mind around um, what the play uh, expectations are going to be. Yes. Then, then you're going to create your encounters. Um, make your encounters understandable and discreet. Um, you, people should be able to pick up an, any of the encounters on their own, read it, and be able to run it and understand it. I mean, the rest of this stuff is just adventure design, right? Uh, yeah, really, for the most part. Although I think we do need to touch a little bit on it um, because some people don't even, you know, they've never sat down and and designed an adventure in this way so it's want, you know it's important i wonder if we've already I, I i keep wondering if we've already done this this episode that's why if if if, if we have it was we probably should, a long time ago yeah we should just do it again then all right yeah um so yeah adventure background the summary of what's going on with the adventure the the discrete encounters so this is like mm-hmm. like we said before like uh you can use that stuff that we talked about with merrick's article like if it's uh if it's more than a page make it shorter if it's more than a column can you get it down to one column yep um, formatting is very important then mm-hmm. at that point, like making sure that your read aloud text boxes are read aloud text boxes and that you're saying the box text stuff that you want to say without being insane about it. We don't need your purple prose in your box text. It should also be kind of shortened to the point and then, you know, allowing for uh, shortened to the point and descriptive enough to get people moving and doing stuff. Uh, so with some sort of call to action in it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's uh, it should just not be there, so that you can just have the interaction between the game master, dungeon master, and the players. Yep. Um, be careful with your spells, because you know spells, especially if you're letting people bring whatever they want to the table. Spells, man, they can just mess everything up, right? Mm-hmm. Especially at the higher levels, for sure. Yeah. Well, what else you got? Uh, I don't know if we have much else. Just you know, remember your tiering as well. Uh, low level stuff uh has the the characters generally being pretty squishy mm-hmm. as you move into tier two from levels five to ten they're getting more hardy um, they can take a little bit more craziness and walk away from it uh, and then when you get to levels three and four for me anything goes at that point um the the players and their characters if they've played all the way up through through those first two tiers um, should have a good grasp of what their characters can do, and I'm not afraid to throw some pretty wacky and dangerous stuff at them, uh, assuming that they will be able to handle it. I think the biggest difference um, with the one shot compared to to anything else that you would be writing for, like as far as like the one, like when you're thinking about writing a one shot for publication, is what kind of product are you making? Are you making something that's highly focused with very specific characters that is telling a very specific story? Or are you generalizing it out to be this situation that you can drop characters into that's more like a module, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that's the big question that you have to ask yourself. And what's the, or if you're going to be somewhere in between, how much do you, how much control do you want to give the, um, the people playing the game as far as like the level of 
level of direction and detail into the characters and the adventure. So uh, that, that is the sliding scale that you're using. Does that would that be fair? I I would say so. And I'm I'm currently looking up a couple of things. There are two one shots that I wrote for convention play that were later published in uh, Dungeon Magazine. And it's funny because they're both wrapped around the same um, situation. It's just from different sides, the, mm-hmm. the good guys and the bad guys. So one is called The Sun Never Rises. And it it's a four-hour uh, one-shot with pre-generated characters. And in it, I'm, I'm pausing because the actual thing is loading right now. Yeah, that's so funny. I'm, I'm we trying can fill to some time. slow it's it down cool. because I can never remember the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm, and of course, this is loading as slowly as it possibly can. So we can play. Those things happen. Hold. We can play our on hold music. And I've got the title page up, which does not help me. Keep loading. <laughs> wow, it's just going super slow. Do you, do you yeah. not? I mean, you write so much stuff. I don't even know if you remember this thing. Like, well, this is it? online. It's I'm getting it off a website. Yeah. Uh, so it is. It is loading. It's like seventy five percent loaded. It's a good thing okay, we added, huh? Go. All right, so that is. Hang on. Sorry about this. Come on, now it's blanked out again. It's almost there. It's okay. <sighs> now I'm going to forget what I was actually going to say to start with. You were saying something about um you're saying something about the sun never rises and how yep. it was a one shot and yep. Jesse man sorry I hope you uh okay. have a hard time editing this one I like when I get to talk to Jesse how's it going man I hope you're doing well I can't wait for you to hear this We're doing pretty good over here Okay the sun never rises All right so in the sun never rises the players play a pre-generated character um who happened to be going into a temple for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And when they get there, they find out that some drow are coming in from a tunnel beneath the church to try to uh, you know, kill everyone inside and, and steal the artifacts and so on. Okay. And so it's a, it's a very normal story. But the pre-generated characters all have these little personality quirks that, that don't go well with each other. Like one guy wants to be this other guy's friend. And this other guy is looking at the original guy saying, why is he always staring at me? You know, and so they all have very specific things about what they feel about each other. That's kind of funny. So in terms of the D&D adventure, it's normal. But in terms of the pre-generated role playing, it's um, very detailed and you can have a lot of fun with it. Uh, But if you if you look at it and just search The Sun Never Rises Dungeon Magazine and you can find it on the DMs Guild. Uh, the whole the whole magazine. So you that, took this th- that adventure that you wrote that yeah. that adventure. It's it's um there's a there's a clear goal like stop yeah. the draw. Um, there is some interaction between the characters. Some of them don't like each other. Some of them do like each other. Some of them have their own like kind of goals and motivations that make them interconnected. Right? Is that the mm-hmm. idea? Yep. So you get that that part's marked too. Like as far as like check boxes to hit. Right. And um, it's played in a discrete amount of time. So mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like you got all the stuff there, huh? Right. Then in the other one which is called the dawn of night, you play the drow that are breaking into the temple. Interesting. Wait a minute. Did you write this for PAX East? Yes. Yeah. I ran that version of it like 17 times. Yeah. I remember that. And now with, with with that one, the pre gens are all trying to, they're trying to achieve the same goal, but they have animosity toward each other that borders on the need to murder. Because they're drow and they're always, so they have to get the thing done, but they also have to try to kill each other subtly uh, along the way. <laughs> and so that, you know, that again is tweaking that, uh, it's taking it one step further in the the conflict between them, but they're still, if they don't get the job completed, then they fail. So, you know, it's just an interesting way. But again, you can look at look at that one and look at, how it is formatted so even though it's a one shot it's also made for publication Mm -hmm. 
It makes perfect sense. And the names of those are again? Uh, the first one is called The Sun Never Rises, and okay. the second one is called The Dawn of Night. Very nice. All right. Well, with that, I think we're uh, good for this topic, right? Mm-hmm. Well, thank everyone so much for listening. Let's do a few Patreon shout-outs. James Sweetland, Jen Pixelscape Scange, JJ Lanza, Brandon Barnes, Blake Ryan Backman, Zach Goins, Troy Sandlin, Corey Johnston, Will Doyle, Sean Merwin, Cindy Moore, Effie Madison, Andrew Dacey, Miko Froelich, and Tabletop Gaming Deals. Oh, there's more. Kevin Minorzak, The Old School DM, Randy Farmer, Chris Constantine, Eric Meng, Eric Simon, Victor Wyatt, Garrett Cologne, Brett, Just Brett, Sean P. Kelly, uh, The Rainmaker, Chris Steele, and Sean P. Kelly. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Download D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes. And you can also get access to the Slack Room for Life, where I was just talking to someone earlier today. You were. If you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review or a review on your favorite podcatcher. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, those Apple Podcast reviews help, even if you're not listening on Apple Podcast, because many use their system to rate and rank shows, and that makes us more visible. Mm-hmm. Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the Down with D&D G Plus community. How about you, Chris? You can hit me up at Misdirected Mark, which is the network Twitter, or you can go to the website where you can catch other great shows, such as this one. Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. Wayne and Robert take monthly deep dives into the Dark Sun setting and discuss it all across across all editions of D&D. In fact, I hear that Troy Denning is going to be on the next episode, and Bill Slavisek was on the most recent. Wow, that's some, uh, that's some history right there. I know, right? It was The Bill Slavisek interview is fantastic. Yeah. I highly recommend going and listening to it. Wow. I, we were throwing out some books the other day, and or recycling, I should say, and the... Uh, Pendat Prism, is that what it is? The, yeah, the Pendat Prism. Uh, that was uh, that was one that we saved. Nice. There you yeah. go. Those are all by Denning, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, they, they tell a little bit of the history of that. Like, Bill Slavisek was... Um, Bill Slavisek, he actually admitted that he's more of an Eberron fan than a Dark Sun fan, because Eberron, he actually worked on right from the beginning, and, and Dark Sun, mm-hmm. he picked up in the middle of it. Right. But... Um, him and like Denning worked on it, but after Denning worked on it, he went off and started working on novels and he would do things to dark sun without consulting. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't as much consultation between the different departments of TSR right. back in the day. So the people that were working on the role-playing game, they would find out the changes to the world by reading the novels. <laughs> and then they would try to, they, they decided to, instead of like doing their own thing, they would try to keep up with the novels and adapt the world based on the novels. So down that path lies madness. I know, right? It yeah. was interesting to hear that that discussion. But for more stuff like that, you should go listen to Bonestone and Obsidian. And Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do now, Sean? We're going to go kill some monsters in a one-shot. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know you're down with D&D. Yeah, you I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D?